I um, was filled with gratitude today as I thought about our Crossview Church family. I'm just so glad you're here. I love and appreciate you all, and it's great each week to be able to come uh, together and worship God with one another. I'd also like to welcome those who are watching this by video at Wood County Jail. We're glad you've joined us on the live stream, and we're uh, honored to have you here with us today. Would you please bow your heads with me as I pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for who you are. And God, I ask that this morning would not be just a monologue of one person to a group, but it would be a dialogue between you and all of us. And so we need your power to do that as we look at your word. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in the United States Air Force, they were going through a transition. They were changing their uniforms. Uh, the, up until the time I got in, they wore these solid uh, olive drab green uniforms that were pressed and hemmed, and they were switching to the common camouflage uniforms that you see today. And so they're in the process of this transition as it was happening, and as it was taking place, you're not going to believe this, but there were some people who were resistant to change. Can you believe that? How can you be resistant to change? But there's a group of people who were in for the a long time, and they didn't want to change, and they were hanging on to the old uniforms. They're just like, we're not going to go into the camouflage. We're going to wear these to the death. And so the day to be fully transitioned came and went, and they were still wearing their old green uniforms. It kept going by. And I remember in particular, there was a Sergeant Harrison who was not going to give up his olive drab green uniforms and put on the camouflage pajamas, as he would like to call them. And so he was resistant. And I remember one time our commanding officer came down and they said to him, Sergeant Harrison, I have not once seen you in your camouflage uniform. And he looked at him and said, you see, sir, it works. <laughs> Some of you will get that tomorrow. You can't see things that are camouflaged, right? Sometimes we think Christian faith is camouflaged. We believe that faith, though we believe it's real, it's something you can't see. We believe it's like this invisible internal force that kind of lives within us, but we can't truly see faith. James wrote a letter that we're spending time in in this series, wanted to make a point in the verses that we're going to look at today that that isn't true, that faith truly is seen. You can see faith. James tells us that emphatically. There may be times where you wonder, am I really a Christian? I think part of the Christian journey sometimes involves us to have questions and struggles and doubts but James is very clear today, as we've seen him be very clear throughout this book so far, and he says, if you wonder if you are a Christian, if you wonder if you are in the faith, then look at your life. Look at your actions. Then, as we have said in the past, James can be very brutal. He goes on to say, if you can't see any evidence of faith in your life, Maybe that's because it isn't there. Ouch. 
But the good news this morning is it doesn't have to be ouch. Because God is here and he's inviting each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at in life, to come before him and give him our lives and allow him to transform and change us that we could live out a real living faith as we're in relationship with him. But faith is something that is seen. Even Jesus affirmed this. There's a story in Mark chapter 2 where there was a group of people and they wanted to see Jesus because they had a friend who was paralyzed. And they knew that if they can get their paralyzed friend to Jesus, he would heal them, him and he would walk again. And so they went to this house where Jesus was, where he was teaching and he was uh, performing these miracles, but it was jam-packed. They couldn't get in the front door to see Jesus. So these guys get on top of the roof. They start destroying this person's roof. They create this hole and they lower their friend on a mat who's paralyzed. They lower him before Jesus. And Jesus says something about their faith. It says this in Mark chapter 2. When Jesus saw their faith. Faith is seen. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, and he was healed that day. Faith is something that you can see. Jesus affirmed that. You see it in actions and behaviors and attitudes. You see it in how people of faith handle disappointment and suffering. You hear faith in spoken words you see it in written cards or encouraging posts or emails. Real faith leads God's people to real action. Faith climbs stairs, opens doors, lifts boxes, bends knees, sheds tears, gives hugs, gives high fives. Faith costs, it sweats, it helps, it writes, it cooks, it gives. This is what faith is. Have you seen faith? Have you seen faith in other people? Have you seen faith in your own life? If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to James chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the worship center we're providing for you. We'll be on page 978 if you're using the worship center Bible. If you're new to the Bible and you have one in front of you, if you go towards the back, you'll go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and then right after the book of Hebrews is James. If you get 1st or 2nd Peter, you went too far. We're going to be looking at James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And in this passage, James presents us with three things. He presents us with two warnings, and then he gives us this apparent dilemma that we need to figure out. Two warnings and an apparent dilemma, and that's what I want to walk through. The first warning we see is James says, we can't be all talk and no action. Don't be all talk and no action. Look at James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Notice the word claims. James is saying this imaginary person says they have faith, but they really don't. And rhetorically with that question, he shows that because he says there's no action to show their faith. We can't see their faith. All we do is hear about their faith. 
So it's heard but not seen. There's no actions that display a faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that can give evidence to the claim that the person said. James boldly says that kind of faith will not save you. If our faith is just words we say without any tangible actions displaying Jesus-like living, then we have to wonder if we have saving faith. Look at verses 15 to 17. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. He's painting this picture. There's these apparent needs right in front of people who claim to have faith, but they do nothing. There's a faith that is claimed, I'm a Christian, but then when that person comes across real practical needs that people have, there's no action or service. And James says that kind of faith is useless. And he uses this phrase, he said, if there's people who don't have food and people who don't have a home, and you look at them as a person of faith and just say, go in peace, be warm and well fed, those are empty words that mean nothing. Now, we don't today say to somebody, go in peace, be warm and well fed. But we have our own modern version of that. The phrase we use is this, please let me know if I can do anything for you. Please let me know if I can do anything for you. Someone goes through a rough time. They lose a loved one. They're sick. They go through a financial hardship. We hear of a horrible thing that happened in their life. And out of good intention, mind you, we come to them and we say, please let me know if I can do anything for you. Unfortunately, I've said this many times. To my shame, I probably said it to some of you here at Crossview Church when you've gone through difficult things. To be honest, that phrase is absolutely useless. Because now, in fact, it's harmful. Because now we're taking somebody who went through a horrible tragedy and we're putting it on them to tell us if they need our help or not. It's hard to ask for help. Did you notice that? It's hard to receive help. And so now to put that on somebody else, and then we walk away justified, hey, I told them if they need anything, let me know, and they haven't called me. This is what James is talking about. That's not what faith looks like. This phrase is useless Please let me know if I can do anything. Isn't it better just to do something? Isn't it better just to help? Isn't it better to just cook a meal or bring a card or send a text or give them money or give them a gift or say, hey, can I pray for you right now? That's faith in action versus faith that's just verbal. But it's easier for us to say, Please let me know if I can do anything. And James is wanting to say to us, you have to move past that. 
This week I was visiting somebody from our church in their workplace, and I was honored when they got up and they kind of walked down a hall area and they said, hey, um, how can I pray for you? And I gave them some things they could pray for, and they said, hey, why why don't we pray right now? And I said, sure. And right there in this person's workplace, they put their hand on my shoulder and they said this prayer for me. See, it's easier to say, hey, I'm praying for you. It's another thing to say, let's pray right now. That's faith in action. That's what it looks like. James is telling us a faith that is all talk is a dead faith. Then he gives us a second warning. Not only can we be not all talk and no action, James also says, don't be all thought and no action. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. This is someone saying, hey, 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 James, you don't understand. There's different types of Christians out there. There's some that really do all the stuff. There's some that go out there and and do the practical deeds. But there's some like me that are more intellectual. I read the Bible. I study it. I I argue with different people. I I teach in Sunday school. I'm more of the intellectual type where other people are more of the doers. And James is saying, absolutely not. Or some may say, James, I've been a Christian a long time. I did my time. I did all my service. It's the younger generation's turn to step up and do that. I need a break. I don't need to serve. Let them do all the serving. And James abruptly shuts down that kind of thinking. He said, faith does not exist without evidence. And the evidence of a living faith in the soul is good works or actions or service. James says, you can't show me Christian faith that's separated from living Christian action. I remember when I was in seminary and I was getting ready to graduate and I was sitting in an office area waiting for my professor because he had to sign off on some things. And I was sitting in these chairs in the in the office, and there were several different professors' offices, and there's this one office over here where a professor was talking to uh, one of the people they were advising, one of the students that was getting getting ready to graduate as well. And I had nothing to do, so I was sitting there, and I was eavesdropping in on their conversation. And I heard the professor say to this student, you know, you're looking to graduate here, but you haven't done any of your ministry experience requirements. See, there are some requirements to graduate seminary where you had to go to a church and be involved in the ministry there. You had to go to a church and and, uh, experience what ministry was like. And and he said this student didn't do any of those, and you were supposed to do it throughout your time at seminary. And I heard the student give his rebuttal. And the student said, you know what? I don't need to do that stuff. I'm going to be a New Testament scholar. I don't have to do that Christian ministry stuff. And I heard the professor say, Lord, have mercy. And he got up, walked around his desk, closed the door, and I think the conversation took a different turn. But I was not privy to hear that one. James makes this point. Your faith can't be just this heady thing. Your faith has to have action. Look at verse 19. He says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that 
and they shudder. He hammers his point and says, if all faith is, is believing the right things, then demons qualify. Knowing the right Christian doctrine does not automatically make you a person of faith. In other words, it's not enough to be right. We have to have right perspective. We have to have right doctrine. Those are good things. But the danger comes in when we love being right more than we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we get more from knowing that we are the ones who have the Bible right than loving and worshiping Jesus and wanting to live for him. The danger comes when we love being right more than we love the Lord Jesus. And you know what? That can look right, but it isn't. Because we can be right without being loving, which means we're wrong. We can be right without being loving, which means we are wrong. Right faith must be accompanied by loving and kind action. It says here the demons believed, and look at what they did. They shuddered. The demons had this emotional response to the Christian faith. But even an emotional response alone is not enough to save you. There has to be more than that. The churches that James was writing to, remember there were people who grew up Jewish, so he uses a lot of Jewish analogies so they understand. They encountered Jesus Christ. They're now new Christians. And they went on to plant these churches And as time went by, they made a big mistake. They divorced faith from actions. They divorced faith from tangibly loving people. They divorced faith with walking out what you really believe. You see, saving faith is something that you can actually see. A faith that is seen comes from an obedience and a relationship with Jesus Christ. A faith you can see comes when we love our Lord Jesus and we're faithful to him and we have a joy-filled relationship with him. That's faith in action. One Bible commentator, C.L. Minton, said this, it is good to possess the right doctrine, but it's not enough. That right doctrine must possess you. That's the heart of transformation. We must be possessed by the love and the wonder and the majesty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must become captivated by the love of the Son of God for it to become real in our hearts. And as we carry on through church, we must be careful, though it's good to have right doctrine, to not have right doctrine that's absent from love. James warns us of these things. He says, don't be all talk and no action. Then he says, don't be all thought and no action. Then he gets a little deeper. We finished a series on the book of Romans where we laid out what it means to come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
and we learned you can't earn your way to heaven. You can't do enough good things to get to heaven. You don't get to heaven because you did more good than you're bad. That's not how you get to heaven. You get to heaven through faith, through believing what Jesus did on the cross. So we're not saved by good things. We're not saved by doing good things. So what does James mean when he says this in verse 18? But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, it looks like in this verse is an apparent dilemma that James and Paul, Paul and Romans, James and his letter, are contradicting one another. But that's not what's happening. There's no contradictions in the Bible. The dilemma we have is an apparent dilemma. And we need to look at it. Look at verse 24 of James chapter 2. It says, You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. That sounds completely contrary to what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. It sounds like they're at odds. Romans 3.28 is the gospel. That's how you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not by doing good works. It's by having faith in Jesus. The way we talk about it here at Cross is we say it's three words. You turn, you trust, and you follow. You turn from your life of sin and you turn to God. It's called repentance. It's a beautiful thing. You turn from death and you turn to life. Then the second word, you trust. That's faith where you believe in who Jesus is and what he said. You believe that he came to earth, died on the cross, and rose from the dead, and now gives us life. And what he did on the cross is what gives us our merit to go to heaven. He paid the penalty for our sin, so we don't have to do it ourselves. And so we get his benefit by putting our faith and trust in him. And then we follow. We make him the king of our life. And we say, I no longer sit on the throne of my heart, but you alone are God. We turn, we trust, we follow. That's faith. That's being saved by faith. So is James confused? Well, let's continue. James, again, talking to an audience of people who are Jewish. Remember, the Bible is not written to us. It's written for us. It's not written to us. It's written for us. And so James is writing to these churches that were mostly made up of Jewish people who are now Christian. And so he uses a Jewish story that they would know. Look at verses 20 to 24. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Now he goes into the story. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? What's he talking about? There was this guy in the Old Testament named Abraham who had a great relationship with God, and God told him to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him on the altar as an act of worship. Say, or then Abraham obeyed. He took Isaac, he put him on the altar, and just as he's getting ready to strike him, God stopped and said, I wanted to see if you'd do what I say. Now that I see that, take Isaac off the altar. And James is bringing up this story to these churches. Verse 22. You see that his faith, that he believed who God was, and his actions, yes, I will do this, were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled when it says Abraham believed God and is credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Here's what James is saying. Faith without evidence of obedience to God, without evidence of good deeds, is not real faith. This is where we need to learn how to read the Bible in the whole of its context. You can't just interpret and apply the Bible like a cookie cutter. You have to look at what's going on in the text, what's going on in the world, because there's places in the Bible where it looks like the Bible contradicts itself. But it never does. There's always a solid explanation. Let's look at a place where in the Old Testament where it looks like the Bible contradicts itself. In Proverbs 26, 4 to 5, it says, First, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Then it says, answer a fool according to his folly, or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So do we not answer a fool according to his folly, or do we answer a fool according to his folly? The answer is both, right? It depends on what kind of fool is standing before you. What this is saying is some fools don't give the time of day to. They won't listen. Just walk away from them. Some fools, when their folly is presented to them in a kind and loving way, will have a change of heart. You have to know the context of the word and what's happening in front of you. Context is king. You can't cookie-cutter Bible interpretation and application. This is why Paul and James are both right when it comes to faith and works. They're talking to two different people. See, Paul is talking to the person that says, I'm going to earn my way to heaven. I don't need faith because look at all the good things that I've done. I've given to this person. I've done this. I've done this. I have a great record. And when I get to heaven, I'll stand before God and say, look at my record. Look at all the good things I've done. And Paul will say, no, that's wrong. You can't do enough good things to enter into heaven. You need to be perfect. Well, how do I get perfect? You accept by faith and trust the righteousness of Jesus Christ, who's perfect. Paul was talking to the person that tried to earn their way to heaven. James is speaking to a different person. James is talking to the person that says, hey, I gave my faith in Christ. I prayed that prayer. Now I can live however I want. I was baptized as a baby. Now I can live however I want. It doesn't matter. I'll go to heaven. I have the get into heaven free ticket. My works don't matter. See, that's a different person. And James is saying to them, no, if you don't walk out your faith with real action, then you don't have real faith. They're talking to two different people. We are justified by faith alone. We can't earn our salvation through works. However... Our salvation is real when it's evidenced by the works we do. See, James is not talking about a person, how a person is saved. He's talking about how we see that a person is saved. Paul uses the example of Abraham showing his faith, looking forward, saying, Abraham, before he did any good works, was justified before God because he believed. Now, James looks at it a different way and says, because 
Abraham did what he did with Isaac, we see the action. That tells us that he had real faith. So they're using the same example, but coming at it from different people. Look at verse 24 again. When we read verse 24, so many times we do, you see, comma, that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. We think it's saying, you see, here's the point, or you see, here's what I mean. But notice there's no comma there. He gives this story about Abraham, and he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. He's using it as an example that you can see faith. How do you see a person's faith? By what they do. Faith is seen. He goes on in verses 25 and 26. In the same way was not even Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Again, he's using a Jewish story that took place. There's this lady Rahab. She lived in a land that the Israelites were going to come and take. And Joshua, the leader of the Israel people, sent spies to the land to check it out so they knew what they were doing. The spies went to Rahab's house. Rahab hid them because the enemy was coming. The people of that land were coming to get those spies. And she hid them and took care of them. And James is saying, what faith? She put her, she put her life on the line. She was courageous. She was hospitable. It was a real act of faith. It wasn't just talked about. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. It's like a corpse. If you have faith, but there's no good action coming to your life, your faith is useless. With Rahab, you see her faith. And her actions tell you she's saved. Her actions were like indicators that she believed and trusted God. Some years back, there was an Olympian archer named Daryl Pace. He was a phenomenal archer. Maybe some of you who are into archery remember him. He is a gold medal Olympian. He still has the records, I think, for highest amount of top scores. And he was making a victory lap tour through the United States, and he went to New York in Central Park, and they set up a, a target, and he was 30 yards back, and he had steel tip arrows, and Daryl Pace was shooting at the target bullseye after bullseye after bullseye after bullseye after bullseye. He must have took t- over 20 shots and didn't ever not have a bullseye. Just hit it, one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. And there's a big crowd watching this. And he said, I need a volunteer. Would someone take and hold the stem of an apple 10 feet in front of the target and let me shoot at the apple and hit a bullseye? Is there any takers? Is there any takers? Anybody at all? That's kind of how it was. There was a man reporting for ABC named Joshua Howell who said, I'll do it. And Joshua Howell took the stem of the apple and he held it over there. And Daryl Pace draws back, fires the arrow, obliterates the apple, and it goes into the bullseye. The cameraman was goofing around and said, I don't think I got that. Can we do it again? Now, there is people in the crowd that believed Daryl Pace could do that. But whose faith did you see? 
the one who held the apple. How many people in the crowd, probably many, believed Pace could hit that apple? They're probably saying, oh, yeah, he's really going to do this. But they weren't really ready to step in and show that they really, truly believe that. One, Josh Howell did. His faith in Pace's ability was real because he put it out there. He risked himself. That's real faith. Real faith is a living faith. So what do we do with this? First, number one, live out your faith with obedience and action. James is saying that our disobedience to God is the true indicator of how much we trust God. If we say we believe in God and we want to live for him, but we don't obey what his word says, then our faith is not real. We're kind of like milling in the crowd but not willing to put the apple in our hand. James says to say I believe in Christ but not obey is like a dead body with no life. When we truly believe in Jesus, our lives reflect Jesus in love and obedience. The second thing we need to do with this is honestly run to Jesus. Honestly run to Jesus. You may be sitting here thinking, man, I'm not sure I'm even saved. I haven't done much. I haven't fed the poor. I haven't hit any spies in my house. Have any of you hit any spies in your house? What am I doing? I don't know if I'm saved. Well, I need to be really careful here. Because if God is convicting you of something, I don't want to comfort you out of that. Because that conviction is the most special precious thing God can do in a human heart because a conviction leads you to come back to him and find life so if that's you and you feel that tension what should you do honestly run to Jesus run to Jesus tell him say God I want to live for you I don't feel like I have real faith I want to turn and trust and follow run to him and tell him that But I also want to say pastorally that we need to remember that James is talking about a group of churches who drifted far, far away from what the Bible says. James is writing this to people who said, we follow Jesus, but they have completely abandoned the idea that their faith should be demonstrated by actions. They completely separated the two and made their faith nothing but a vocal and intellectual thing. God is not asking you to carry the whole world on your shoulders, nor is he asking you to carry the whole church on your shoulders, but we can't always turn a blind eye when we see a need if we are true followers of Jesus Christ. We have to take action, and sometimes that action is even sacrificial. It hurts, but we have to do it because that's faith in action. So how do I know if I have real faith? Commentator David Gibson wrote this. You will know, as you read these lines in James, if you can feel your love for Christ pulling on your heartstrings to be the kind of person who lives for him, by loving others, by obeying his word, by serving his people, when you feel yourself wanting to do these things, however imperfectly, 
However much you might be hindered by the constraints of things like the age of your kids or the nature of your job, well, the Lord knows you. God knows your heart. It's not about how much or how often. It's about whether you have done these things at all or intend to do them or even want to do them. It's a matter of the heart. This is a lot to take in. I suspect that there's, after hearing this, there's things in our lives that we want to change. Maybe there's certain things that we want to start doing. Maybe there's certain things we want to stop doing. Let's run to Jesus and express that to him. I want to give you a moment as we close in silence to perhaps have a dialogue with God. What is God saying to you right now? Or what do you want to say to God? What do you really want to say to God? Not what you think you're supposed to say, but what do you really want to say? I want to give you time in silence and just take this opportunity to dialogue with your creator and your maker who loves you dearly. Let's go before the Lord and then I'll pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us in our response. I ask you correct any false thinking or seeing that we have. I ask that you would help us to see your son Jesus in full brilliance, in full love, in full power, in full majesty of who he is. Captivate our hearts with the realities of heaven. I pray that we wouldn't be people so attached to the here and now that our sight becomes clouded and our faith becomes unseen. But let us be people who experience your mercy and your love and your grace in such a way that we echo what is written in the hymn that love so amazing, love this unbelievable, love this amazing and divine, demands my heart, my life, and my all. Where the only right action would be to do your will. Create that within us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand.